Hi, this is Paul Miller from London. Really enjoyed the podcast. Uh, keep it going. Thanks very much. Welcome to the InsurTech Business Series podcast. I am Fulimi. And I am Gamola. And together, we host the most exciting podcast on insurance and insurtech-related topics in Africa. Stay tuned. And welcome to another edition of InsurTech Business Series podcast. Today, we don't have one person. We have two amazing people. And it's a pleasure to be speaking with them. And we're going to be learning a lot from their experience and what they think about the space. Welcome, Leona. Welcome, Wairum. Thank you, Damola. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. In this new reality, you know, a lot of things have changed, uh, not just for the insurance industry, but for life generally. So uh, it will be interesting to hear uh, you, Leona, then why remove. So, I mean, how have you been since COVID uh, broke? How has things changed? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, before COVID, we all knew life in a certain way. And then mm. COVID comes and presents us with a lot of uncertainties, uh, things that we haven't expected. We're beginning to change uh, our lifestyle, the way we do things, even um, how we engage our partners has shifted. I mean, we're doing a lot more uh, virtual meetings and engagements rather than, you know, where you'd have regularly scheduled an in-person meeting, sat down and had your conversations. It definitely has come with its own positives. And I think that it has presented us with enough negatives, which is which is quite common knowledge to us all. One of the things that I see as, as a positive is that you can speak to anybody anywhere around the world and um, you're not restricted sort of in in in, in terms of uh, the time. You're not restricted in terms of zone. I mean, previously, we would take our meetings and our, our conferences in a certain way. People have to travel uh, from one country to the other to try to have engagements and have conversations. This time around, we can have hold conferences right here on, on, on virtual tech-enabled platforms. We can have conversations um, across the world. The other thing is in terms of, um, I'd, I'd say probably the, the not-so-positive is the fact that, you know, with physical meetings, there is the opportunity to go a bit deeper than you would necessarily do with um, your virtual meetings. You get to connect, you get to laugh, you get to get to know people a bit more than you would have necessarily on a virtual call. So I think that for me, picking out what's good and forging ahead and adding that to what life already had presented as with before um, COVID. Awesome. What about you, Irimo? Yeah, so I won't say that COVID has had, as Leona has stated, positive and negative impacts. But it has also brought in a lot of enlightenment within the people, within businesses as well. So I would say like uh, before COVID again, there was a lot of things happening more in person. There was a lot of uh, manual things going around, but it has boosted a lot of technology. It has brought about the real essence of what is the value of technology in businesses, not just in insurance, but in businesses as a whole. Whereby people who initially went with businesses, you did think you could be able to speak to people or interact to people without, you know, the face to face. I've had to appreciate the benefit of virtual and, you know, that instant you can just do something and close it off in a minute. At the same time, a lot of businesses that could digitize but weren't have gotten the push to finally digitize which is really 
line with you know distribution models that are really effective for the end customers. So it has had its really upside in terms of steering companies towards digitization and technology. Again, even in terms of insurance, it's had its upside in people realizing things, you know, things that they need covered because no one really looked at a pandemic as a big thing before. So even mm. if you're taking a cover and you're told the pandemic is not covered, you will put a lot of focus on it. But now you, with, with all the effects that the pandemic has had, it's brought in for a lot of businesses to be more innovative in terms of their offerings, all businesses in general. So it's been a really uh, enlightening period at the same time, but it's been really bad again for businesses. It's been bad for individuals as well. And we've seen it across board. We've seen it in our company as well. So I'd say it has been very negative, but we're hoping at least um, it will lead to a lot of preparation. If Again, pandemics are predicted to happen once in 10 years. So by the next time, there'll be a lot of innovation that has happened, a lot of seamless processes, a lot of digitization and inclusion in terms of pandemics and looking to curtail the risks of it. Wairumo is in Kenya, by the way. Uh, I know that, you know, we... Insurance people can we tend to be uh, quite serious sometimes, and uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, let's. I mean, go back before we go into yes, we're going to talk about insurance and and the micro insurance space. Yeah. But, uh, personally, uh, I mean, what has this time taught you, or what has it helped you to to change? What have you learned from this time? Uh, Again, COVID, new way of working, uh, and things like that. Well, I'd say, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd say I didn't used to think I enjoy working from home the way I realize it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do put in a lot more when I'm working from home. You know, it's made me realize how much that commute was hectic, uh, especially. Uh, um, so, in terms of that, it has. It has heightened for me and for me, it has heightened anxiety around a lot of things because you feel like before uh, you were living just, you know, you feel a bit more sure about your life, but now you feel like everything is hanging on to something and you don't know how long it will go for. You don't know how it's going to affect many things. Um, you know, you start wrapping your, your, your mind around things that you were just taking as if it was normal. And then you realize, um, well, this is not as normal as I thought it would be. For example, I didn't know, like, okay, so like in terms of schools and the way it's affected even schools, and then, you know, my daughter has had where she would be now is not where she would have been. And then I'm like, okay, so now what do I do next? What are the ways around it? Uh, there's been the restrictions in traveling, of course. Uh, there's been a lot of restrictions and lockdowns. There has been, you know, the social distancing. So there's been a lot of things that were normal that are not. Um, not seeing family as often, of course, has been not the best of bits. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So it's been a bit tricky and uh, having to have so many people around you mm. who have been affected negatively by it has mm. been, you know, things you don't expect to happen when as soon as they happen, you expect life to have a certain curve and then, you know, a certain roadmap and then suddenly it doesn't, you know, it's just yeah. thrown off ball. So it's been uh, a very anxiety driven time for me. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what about you, Leona? Uh, I mean, all through this time, uh, you know, <laughs> taking uh, Ghana jello, the inferior jello, <laughs> by the way. But, I mean, 
I forgive you. I do forgive you. I can tell you that Ghana Jollof can never be described as inferior. So next time you come to Ghana, just just reach me and you will change your perspective. But then, yes, I think for me, um, Wairimu's experience, I mean, especially um, regarding uh, work from home, is I have a slightly different experience. Um, I did appreciate work from home. I was happy with work from home for a bit. But then if you have a house full of kids running around, screaming their heads mm-hmm. off, don't want to, you know, lower the, the, the TV, whatever cartoons they're watching. Um, yeah. Then your, your, your work life is a bit affected because, uh, you know, you've got to manage the engagements as you're having them with people who some people might understand that there's family around and we don't have a choice as is. And so you might hear some kids screaming in the background, but some people are not so tolerant, you know. So um, for me, it's it's really put me in the place where I do know that if I want to work from home, then my kids definitely have to be away in school. I, I really I'm at, at that point and it's, it's not fun for me. I would have preferred to be able to comfortably work from home, even when the kids mm-hmm. are home. But the, the study is mm-hmm. not so quiet and it's, it, it's not soundproof. So it carries the, the voices of the kids to add to that. Um, I think that it's when I'm working from home, I'm a bit more stressed than when I come into the office because there's those hours of driving. Definitely traffic is taking some time, which it should is this productive time being taken away. So that's not pleasant. But then when I work from home, then it means that I start work at, say, 3 a.m. when I wake up, when I see an email, I'm responding to it. It also boils down to the habits that we, we pick up as we go along. So if I choose not to respond to an email at 3, 5 a.m., then I begin to get worried because I, I can't have things waiting for too long. Mm, so okay. I, I don't have restricted, you know, working hours. I can work late into the night. I find that my back is hurting a bit more. So then you try and get like, you know, the office set up at home, but then one thing leads to the another. And next, you know, there are health challenges. So all of those things do come up. And I guess that everybody's experience is, is slightly different. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that going forward, what we all need to do is, uh, uh, work according to what suits us um, in our lives. So I prefer coming to the office for now. In terms of family, I, I got the chance to really appreciate things that I'd previously ignored. Not necessarily ignored 100%, but then to an extent, you realize that um, probably I wasn't bonding as much with my children. Um, mm, you know, mm. yeah, pre-COVID, I thought that I was being a good mother. I thought I was I was doing everything that I could do, giving them attention and everything. But this time, I mean, while at home, while during the lockdowns and all of that, you realize the extent to which the children really want to come close and want to be with you, even when there's nothing to do around you. You know, they give up playing just to just to be with you, just to sit with you and have a chat. And, and, and help you understand what they learned on, on YouTube today and all of that. So those, I mean, those periods gave me a sort of an introspection back into the relationship with the children. I realized that, look, no matter what happens, family is key and you've got to find the right balance. Wow. Um, I must confess, I think I, I shared the same thoughts for you guys. In fact, having um, this conversation from my workplace, and that's because 
um, virtual, there's a thing for virtual and working from home, but then again, you also, um, there's, there's just a beauty with this whole um, physical connection and the ability to, you know, get into the work environment and away from home. So I totally understand you, Diona and Warimo. Like, I, I'm just happy that I'm not in this room, so that's that's good for me. Um, <laughs> but moving on, really, um, Leona, I know that you work for uh, Micro Insurance, but would like to know who Leona is and um, and what you do at you know Micro Insurance, especially in Ghana. Absolutely. Yes. So I work with Micro Insure Ghana as the country manager. Um, previous to this position, this was about two years ago that I, I I was pushed into this position. I had been a client relations Oish. manager. <laughs> I mean, Richard, Richard, and a couple of people should hear me say this. They'll have my neck. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, previous to, to 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 coming into this position, I was the client relations manager. Actually, I entered. Um, or I joined Micro Insure as it, an accounts executive, which was an officer level position. And my role was was uh, to create, you know, a liaison, to be a liaison between our B2B partners and Micro Insure. Um, primarily, I was supposed to hear out the customer, understand um, the customer, understand the products or solutions that they were looking for, and then bring that back to Micro Insure into sort of sort of a solution or design um, place where we would come out with sort of uh, responses to the the needs that the customer had raised. Again, when a product is is done and it's it's handed over to the customer, I needed to understand and evaluate, monitor to ensure that the, the products were being used well, being assimilated well, claims are coming out, and all of that. So. I mean, those periods were really critical periods that taught me um, to understand um, the microinsurance landscape, understand the customer journey from a customer's perspective, not just from um, the insurance uh, player's perspective, uh, and then bring their problems up. Because sometimes it's easy to be uh, to be in a box and in a space where an insurer feels like this is what the customer needs, whereas the customer is not looking for what we are thinking that they're looking for. So, I mean, that period was quite a critical period for me in my life. And I got to learn a lot, both from the B2B partnership side and from the microinsure um, side. And then I moved up uh, after about three years into the, the role of a client relations manager, was managing the team that would necessarily liaise with the client and client face um, and all of that. And then two years after that, um, I got promoted into the um, the role of a country manager. Previous to microinsure, I had been with a traditional insurance company for four years. So in total, it's about 14 years of insurance. Thank you very much, Lena. Um, of course, I would pretty much ask about the same uh, for Warimo. Okay, thank you so much. So I am in Kenya, yes. I have worked for microinsure for three years now. It's actually exactly three years now. I joined in 2018. And before that, I worked for an MFI, a microfinance institution, and I worked for an insurance company partly before that, an agency. So I joined my insurer as an operations officer, dealing mostly with uh, the end customers in regards to claims and policies and uh, that bit. Then I was uh, promoted to a business solution analyst, as is helping them business development team come up with products, uh, come up with winning propositions, talk to customers, understand what their problems are. 
and design products that directly uh, solve these particular problems. And then I was promoted to the director of account management and business solutions for about three months. Then I've been a country manager for a month and a half. Yeah, thereabouts. That has been the journey for me within the company. And I found it very exciting because as a person, I get very, I like change. I change things a lot even in my house I change things every few so I like a lot of change and I like to be able to keep changing and to keep offering solutions um I like to consider myself very very analytical and problem solving I just like to look for things I can fix they make fun of me the company for changing my hair all the time (laughs) so so yeah um what do I do in my free time I I read spend time with my daughter and I also spend a lot of time on Netflix I think it's one of the best innovations ever Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Adebo Ali Banjo. I'm co-founder, CEO at MyCover.ai, and we are building Africa's digital insurance infrastructure. For the latest news on insurance technology in Africa, keep listening to InsurTech Business Series and stay updated. Uh, that's, that's 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 interesting. I, I, it's interesting to hear that Netflix is the best innovation ever. Not even uh, micro insure. No, this is the best. This is one of the best. <laughs> okay, no problem. Uh, so, I, 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 Leona, I, I know that I you, you that. mentioned. I that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you you mentioned Richard. I mean, when you were speaking um um earlier, and I mean. A lot of work that he had done on the continent uh, as regards to uh, micro insurance and really just around how bet- how we can better offer insurance to Africans, right? Uh, you both are coming from a different perspective. What role can micro insurance actually play on the continent, looking at the fact that level of penetration is quite low? Yeah. Thanks a lot for the question, Gamula. So um, I'll start from the angle of uh, insurance itself or microinsurance being a tough sell, you know, and, and it's, not, it's not an easy um, um, product. It's not an easy solution and it's not an easy position to sort of present to people. As compared with banking, where people are prom- have, the, have the prospects of, you know, um, some interest coming back to them or the prospects of, it, I think, even in higher demand are the loans or the credits that would really augment business and, and help people to get to the place that they need to get to in life. And so insurance is always downplayed. It's not, it's not respected in a way, and it's not loved. But the, the interesting narrative um, is that actually people who need insurance the most, these are like people um, within the low-income communities who are faced with risk every day uh, but do not have a fallback uh, are the ones who need insurance. They don't like it. Now, come to mid-income bracket sector like myself, Waimu, a couple of us who are doing, who are earning salaries and all of that, do we necessarily wake up, go buy insurance? It's most likely a no. And so insurance is just not loved because there are all of life's daily needs and we'd rather put our money, you know, in, in, in those things. But then the inevitable will always happen. Deaths happen, the fires happen, the floods happen, um, hospitalizations. We can't, we can't take care of home because you know, we, we climbed up the, the economic ladder, got to a point, there was some death of, of a breadwinner, and then the whole family is crumbling down. We have to go back to the village or try to borrow. And you remember that we're already on some loans, if, if possible, in our lives. 
Uh, and so people are borrowing, 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 and there's no remedy, there's no end to it. So the question is, where does it all end? You know, that's where microinsurance comes into the picture. My thoughts are that if insurance is embedded really into everyday used products, we will be able to solve um, insurance penetration to a good extent. I mean, a lot of people might say that there's a very lazy way of doing insurance, but it is the most profound case. And I'm bringing it back into um, our experience when we bundled insurance, microinsurance to airtime usage. And that was the first time in Ghana, Etel, I'm sorry, Tigo Family Care Insurance, first time in Ghana that we were able to give insurance to 1 million lives. It was the first time in Ghana. It was such a big deal. And you could tell from you know, the, the experience when claims were paid, the excitement that it created and the buzz that it created for even the mobile house, mm. the telecom business. And, and, and you know, that these telecom houses definitely at the time came to us with problems. They said to us that we're in a place where multiple SIMs, I mean, our customers are using multiple SIMs. Um, and so we're sharing revenue. That's one. We, we're seeing a lot of churn. We're seeing a lot of inactivity. How do we sort of bring the attention back to ourselves? And we thought we, we sat down in a design um, workshop with, with them and then proposed, you know, bundling insurance to the airtime, which everyone is using anyways. And once that happened, we were able to now actively pay back claims, create excitement. And we got people to the point where rather than get free insurance, people were now willing to take out $1.50 to buy insurance. So it begins to also change the narrative in the sense that you, you, you get to change customer behavior and then people actively begin to see the importance of insurance. And that's where you can open them up to for sophisticated levels of insurance, including home insurance and all of these things. But as a startup, we need to think about partnerships where we get to bundle insurance into everyday used items and products. Wow, fantastic, Luna. Um, so I would like to ask, I know that you are in Ghana, but yeah. um, I'd like to speak to Warren Moon, who, right. um, you know, um, she's actually adding the force in Kenya. I know that conversations with other people like, um, uh, um, you know, Elias, um, who is actually from, you know, IRA and um, the likes of um, um, Julian Abbas and the likes of them. So, Warren, what exactly would you say um, is uh, the contribution of micro, uh, your organization, micro insurance, in terms of um, ensuring that the penetration rate increases in, in Kenya? Okay, thank you so much for me. So, in Kenya, if I was to just pick Kenya, for example, that's the question. The more, the reason there's very low penetration, as research has shown, is a couple of things. Of course, there is products that are not tailored directly to the needs of the person. There is a trust issue with the industry because there's usually a lot of uh, claims not being paid out or a lot of documentation happening. And most people will not read these documents until point of claim, whereby they find out this is not covered and this is not covered. There's also the issue of customer awareness where people don't really understand insurance fully. So they have an expectation of how it would work. And when it doesn't work like that, they, they are not okay with it. And then of course, there is the general processes around uh, insurance. Most people, as we know, like to pay for convenience. You want easy processes around everything. So what we have done 
again to build to bridge the gap between crisp penetration is we ensure we do get to understand the real problem of the end customer which is why again we do like the like Leona has mentioned working with partners because they already have a lot of data of their end customers that helps us understand what are the real needs of these specific people and then we can design solutions around those needs so the solutions will be direct to the end customer they'll feel an instant gratification once they get the insurance they won't just have a cover and then they you know they never get to gain from it at all the other thing is the processes making it as easy as possible for them to actually access the insurance this may be through not making them fill forms just tapping into the partner's data so they're not filling forms you're picking the data putting them on policy not telling them that this is what is covered uh, and this is when you cover starts this is when it ends again it's making it very simple even in terms of product wordings or the policy wordings whereby we have very minimal uh, exclusions as well so that we make sure that they feel that they have a no round uh, coverage in terms of it as well so that's one of the biggest contributions we've had because we've made very easy distribution processes or very easy processes for policy enrollment and claim payments we also ensure that most people get their claims within around 24 to 48 hours from when the documents are received in this way there is again the instant gratification whereby people can see the true benefit of it uh, and to also emphasize on what Leona also mentioned another thing we do is the model around it because most people do need insurance but most people will not uh, just purchase it for whatever reason so we we like to start off with a model where the customers get to first experience the insurance before we move to the bigger insurance products so we can partner and offer loyalty products or just some premium products whereby they get to first experience the insurance they get to see the benefit of it they get to understand it and at this point they can then move ahead to purchase uh, other covers or to take other covers along with the insurance they had before in this way we have seen an increase in enrollment even within Kenya in itself and we've seen claims payout which again claims are a clear evidence of uh, a benefit if they're claiming it means the particular product so the particular insurance is very beneficial to them at the end of the day thank you very much for that uh, we had a conversation with uh, richard leftly as well uh, and there a lot of things that were true as regards um, what he set out to do and the challenges and the opportunities that are still there and i mean i, I just want to ask maybe uh, leona could help here um in terms of the regulatory environment now because i mean we're talking about all of these things as regards uh, simple products simple you know partnerships these are some of the things that they are not so common with the insurance industry insurance industry has kind of been like in its own silo you know not connecting so well to other uh, other industries or other platforms and so we are looking at how we can do them differently so from the ghanian perspective what's the regulatory environment there uh, i mean we like to hear about this because uh, innovation is usually ahead of regulation uh, so but what's the environment there and how are you able to walk around maybe some of the challenges that exist thank you very much tabuna i'd say that's the uh, ghana insurance commission in in ghana that's the, the official um, i mean the, the insurance commission but then the official name is the national insurance 
Commission Ghana. They have created a real enabling environment for um, microinsure, for other technical service players, and, and for the traditional insurers at large in Ghana. Um, I really appreciate uh, their efforts because they, they always listen, which is good. So we don't have a phobia um, when we're coming up with new things, there's uncertainty. Uh, we go to our, our regulator, we have conversations, we engage them, we give them reasons why we think this or that is probably the way to go. They go back, do their homework, look into uh, their regulations, look into what the risks and opportunities would be. And I would say uh, that for the past 10 years, when I've been with MicroInsure, they have really created an enabling environment. I'll give MicroInsure as, as a, a clear example. Um, I think that when we were licensed, it, there was no clear path what exactly we were to do, but we were allowed to come in as it was almost like a regulatory sandbox to understand, first of all, uh, the mm. terrain, yeah, and mm. then come up with, you know, possibilities and uh, suggestions, after which they took those learnings back into regulation and then came back out with the microinsurance, you know, um, um, documents for our use. And, and this has been our guide as, as we have played within this space all these years. So to that effect, I always say that they are an enabler. Uh, for us, in terms of microinsure Ghana and what we want to do, uh, it's no secret to the regulator in very recent times that we've played uh, within the technical service provision space for uh, 14 years thereabouts, since 2006, uh, when microinsure was, was first allowed to start business. And we, we think that we've gotten to the point where we need to become more than just a technical service provider. So those are some of the conversations that we're having with them. We have the technology to back us. We have the claims and the data and the policies and enrollments and, and all the simple things that we've been able to introduce within insurance, which were previously not present uh, before we were licensed. We've been able to show for ourselves that we have the opportunities and we have the we have the enabling environments mm. within the business to be able uh, to do new things. And so we're really looking forward to how we might together move on along and grow from just a technical service provider into a micro insurer, uh, insurance company, or if you like a, a self captive or whatever that's, that would be. It would be an interesting time because uh, based on technology, based on uh, artificial intelligence, we know that we're able to now move away from, you know, validating uh, claims over, let's say, two days or three days to just a click of a button, or even if it's if we're validating over six hours, just a click of a button and the claim is validated, a click of a button and the claim is paid. Um, the, the, the claims are sent through the AI system, and then we have our outliers popping up um, to the extent that microinsurance becomes even more valuable and even faster and can give back to the customer even quicker than we have done in the past. So these are exciting times. These are times that we're, we're really looking up to our regulator uh, that they would, again, um, understand the journey, understand the process and come along. We think that we have a good opportunity also in Ghana being in the fact that um, for very recent times, there have been a lot of conversations along tech-enabled financial ecosystems and all of that. I think just about a month ago, there was the uh, the summit around mobile technology for development. There was uh, that happening all around the country. And it was interesting to hear what other partnerships, what other um, supervisors and uh, regulators within the country are also looking at from a tech perspective. Um, the, the only counsel that I might just put out is that um, the regulators need to keep talking um, just to continue to innovate. They need to keep talking. 
Um, otherwise, uh, if the insurance regulator is is up and doing, but then there, there's a lag on another side of, of, of the businesses in Ghana in terms of regulation, then it still takes a longer period to do the things that we want to do and really innovate. Hi, InsurTech Business Series. Thank you for the good work that you're doing. Your podcasts are always interesting, thought-provoking, and educational. I am Ines, and I'm following you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, we've had all the people on our podcast, except for you know, um, um, insurance professionals like you from Ghana. Um, I, I also enjoyed the fact that you mentioned the the um, you know regulatory aspect of it. But what even caught my attention the most was the fact that you talked about um, claims payment. I know that regulatory basically um, is always for the customers. They're trying as much as possible to protect the customers. But then again, um, insurance is also susceptible to fraud. So how are you able to manage uh, that particular bit um, in ensuring that customers are aware um, attended to as well as protecting your own portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely let Wairimu come in on this because she also has an angle from the East African perspective. But then I'd say that we've gotten the, the opportunity to learn. And I think your, your learnings are always your best tools when, when you're, you're doing the insurance business. So we've learned over time how customers can be innovative around debts. debts. So, for example, a customer is not dead, but then you get a claim that says that this customer has died or the customer died about 10 years ago, but then you get an interesting claim that says that the customer mm-hmm. only died uh, two days ago. So, I mean, all of those things we have seen, we have learned, um, we have uh, we have connected with the identification. We don't have a, a national identification, like a one general national identification system working, but then we have in, in different silos. So we have G5, which connects from the different silos uh, you can check the identity of a customer or a, a, a claimant. You can just check that in GVIBE and it pops up and shows you whether or not this customer is alive, where, you know, a certain more data or bio data around the customer is shared. And then you can just pick that up and know that, well, this is at least for the first step, this must be a genuine claim and then move on to other things within the claim form. So we sometimes we just call, we fill out the claim form while the customer is speaking to us, but we definitely get the evidence from the customer. So uh, we've also connected with hospitals, for example, if it's a hospitalization claim, we have a good network and a good engagement level with the various hospitals around Ghana. We connect, we have friends and and, and, um, and contacts within the hospitals. It's just a matter of just checking that this customer um, coming to the hospital on this date or that date, can you give me a little more information and all of that. So, and, and because it's a business, it's not as if the hospital is giving off information that they shouldn't give off. Um, on the insurance form, really, we don't have a form that a customer fills, but in our messaging and our, our information to the customer, we do let them understand that we're, 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 we're hoping that the information that they're filling out to us is true, and we're relying on that level of trust and, and faith that they would give us the right information. Some of this information will be checked. And so we're just on the back of that, ensuring with connections, with engagements, uh, hospitals and uh, GVIVE and the DVLA. The DVLA is the driver's license and authority uh, place in Ghana. All of these other sort of businesses we connect just to ensure that we can check off things easily and faster. We are also, as much as possible, uh, shy away from too much paper-based. In fact, when it comes to enrollments, we don't do any paper uh, work at all. It's really more tech enabled. It's a USSD onboarding or it's financial institutions just sharing that information with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we have privacy 
agreements already signed. And so it's we're storing all of this information in a safe and secure place. So once all of those things are in place, the customer is not burdened because, you know, we're not necessarily bringing a paper out to them to fill and sign. But then at the claim process, at the claim time, we do a lot of engagements all around um, the country just to ensure that we have the right information. And then based on that, the claims are validated and, and sent off for payments. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Maybe we could hear Warimu's uh, perspective yeah. from the eastern part of uh, Africa. Hi, I'm Dr. Neto, founder and CEO of Wella Health, where we're working on affordable access to healthcare using technology and alternative care pathways, microinsurance being central to our work. I'm delighted to be on a chat on InsurTech Business Series, where we talk about some of the stuff we're learning at Wella Health and how we can improve insurance adoption across Nigeria and Africa. Enjoy. Yeah, uh, so it is the same thing because, again, because of the way our products are designed, they're very minimal exclusions, again. So we allow people to go to any hospital. We allow a lot of things, which means that a lot of fraud can happen in this case. So we have also implemented the same processes as those of Leona. So we have learning curves. We have data from the past. We've seen what happens and what doesn't happen. We have hospital contacts, whereby we are able to call the hospital and verify admissions. We know through past data, we know how specific hospitals have their summaries look like. We know how the death permits look like, you know, because again, the areas are similar in a lot of ways. So a lot of it is that we have investigators on the ground as well. Well, if we have doubts, we have to still send them to check. And normally we have to really, mostly we have to really bank on the contacts we have at the hospitals and again, the investigators, because we want to pay the claims in a very short period of time. So we need to ensure that all this is done in the time frame that we would like to have it done. So that's the same thing. But I wouldn't say that uh, fraud is something that's completely out of the way. With, with the kind of products we have, it's something that's going to be here. So we are also looking at ways we can solve this in a tech perspective through AI, whereby we can be able to just scan documents and tell if they're fraudulent. You know, you can scan an ID and as you've linked to the uh, to a platform that is able to identify, you can tell whether there's any any miscellaneous work that has been done on it, if there have been any changes done on forms and all that. So we are looking, as we look to have more instant payouts, we're looking to really leverage more on AI to make sure that we're able to, to come uh, to get to discover fraud, yes, and be able to mitigate it even uh, better than we already do. But we implement strategically more or less what is happening in Ghana. Just so because again, fraud is, you'll notice that globally fraud is more or less the same. <laughs> the ideas in, were... in, in, in our books, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of ethics mm. to really to really uh, work with integrity and walk in integrity, I think. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's more or less the same because we have noticed that. And we've noticed the changes happening in the past at least two years. We've been able to mitigate a lot of it in the past two years. Uh, and we've, And the thing with fraud is most people are just fraudulent Anyway, by nature, they probably they just don't have, you know, the ethics and all. But it's also around customer awareness where people just feel 
because they have paid for insurance, they have to get paid for claims. So they have to be fraudulent so they can feel that their money has gone into use. So another thing we have also been doing is a lot of customer education. You want them to understand what insurance is, how it works, and why they should just be as honest as possible. Because if you're trying to offer the best products or the best insurance or the most uh, need-based products, mm-hmm. so customer awareness is also something that has to also be done at mm, the end true. of the day. Yeah. True, true. Uh, uh, um, I mean, I, I'll probably be a bit selfish here, but I want to come to the western part of Africa. And I mean, I want to ask Leona, in terms of, because through all the conversation from both of you, actually, it's evident that uh, you are very much involved in designing products, uh, not just any product, but customer-centric products, right? Uh, yeah. And I mean, if you are going to speak to, I mean, you're speaking to the to the continent right now, but uh, if you are going to uh, advise in terms of designing all of these products, digital products, right? So yeah. uh, what two, three, four principles do you, and you, do you put in mind you know, when designing some of these things? What understanding about the customer do you uh, put into perspective when designing some of these things? Because I think that's one of the uh, areas that we need to quite improve on. Thank you, Damula. I think that uh, my, my number one um, point will be that always have that engagement, always have those conversations that bring out the problems or the, the issues or needs of the customer, whether it's a, it's a B2B relationship, whether it's a, a B2C, is a, a customer himself that you're speaking to, always have those conversations that bring out the real risk that the customer faces throughout their life's journey. It could be that in the morning when they wake up, they're exposed to some risk already in their homes. It could be that when they come out, they sit in a, in a vehicle to go to their place of work, they're exposed to some um, levels of risk. It could be that when they get to their offices or they get to their selling space, they are exposed to some some risk during the course of their work. They're exposed to some risk. So just understand right. deeply the problems and be able to write out your problem statement, and then based on that, begin to work back towards the solution. So let's not let's not push a solution before we understand what the customers' needs are, because that is key. Number two, I'd say that education and awareness. It's, no, so I'll, I'll do onboarding before education and awareness. Your onboarding process is key. If a customer, you have a fantastic product, but you're unable to bring it to the customer in a very simple way, you still lose out. You don't get the benefits of a pain-free journey for the customer. And the customer needs to have a lot of comfort and convenience when they're jumping onto your service. Even if It should even be seamless to the point that, you know, they don't even feel any pain. They don't even feel any stress in picking on the product. So that's the second thing that it should be a very pain-free um, onboarding process. It could be that it could be that through the use of their mobile phone, they're already dialing and punching numbers every day. Uh, you begin to ask yourself, how can I bring my insurance product to the customer in a way that they're, they're already engaged in on a daily basis? And that's a very simple way. If it means that your product needs to begin to show an imagery uh, let's say in terms of awareness and creation, that's the third point. In terms of awareness and uh, education, you're able to bring images or you're able to bring visuals so that they know that from that point I move to that point or that point. It could be a, a short skit, a short video that shows them the onboarding process. They dial this number and let the customer go through that journey, understand what they're buying for themselves, and then they jump onto the product. That's the third point. So the first is your risk, uh, understanding the risk and the needs first. The second is 
uh, your onboarding should be as simple as possible, very simple customer journey. And then the third should, you should be able to educate the customer through the same process that they, they, they use um, and the same uh, activities that they, they, they run on, on a daily basis. You want me to go on? I could. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that, that was, that was quite. Uh, you said three, so I stopped at three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I know that you can, you can give us a lecture on this, right? So, uh, so, so for, for, for Wairimo, uh, so we've, speak, we've spoken to a number of people uh, from Kenya, right? We've spoken with Jihan Abbas, for example, uh, founder of Lamy. And she alluded to some factors regards how uh, women are regarded or treated uh, in the industry, right? Uh, she gave example of of herself, you know, when she would send mails to uh, insurance companies, CEOs, and things like who are men, and they would respond with, uh, say, Mr. Abbas, you know, for example, right? Uh, yeah, th those unconscious biases are, are there. I mean, all over, um, when you look at the insurance industry around the world, it's male-dominated, right? But, um, you know, has has that kind of been your experience? And what do you think that we can do to change this? Because uh, we're looking at inclusion. We are looking at, I mean, when you are designing products, you have to look at what exactly the risks are. I mean, what um, the man would face, for example, the risk he faces are quite different from what the uh, the, 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 the woman is, is facing as well. You know, you're looking at someone who, who I mean, I mean, takes care of children and who, is, who gets pregnant, you know, those risks are not things that demand, for example, you know, experiences. So looking at it from the perspective of the fact that we need more women in this space, because uh, by the time we are designing some of these products, their perspective will definitely be valuable. Uh, so, I mean, what, what, what has been your experience in that kind of regard and what do you think that we can do to change that narrative? Representation, of course, women representation or female representation is something that needs to become more than it already is at the moment, which is clearly uh, the case, which is something we have seen with women all over. I wouldn't say I've had the same exact uh, problem that Jihan has had, but it doesn't mean the problem is not there. The reason I haven't had that personally is because of the role I had before I took this up. Mm. I was able to, you know, I'd already been introduced to these people. So at, at that point, mm. the one who was handling a lot of the product pricing and all that with the underwriters. So I'd already had an intro and the, my boss at the time was a male. So if I had just entered this afresh, I, I would probably face the same thing she has faced. And I do agree that uh, women representation, even in terms of insurance, uh, is something that needs to be there, not just in the people that lead them, but in terms of the designing of the products, because based on a lot of analysis, women are, they have major risks, they have more risks, of course. And at the same time, like even when we were, we're offering our MFIs solutions, we find that at least 57 of you know, of the whole population of the whole data set is normally women. Women are the larger uh, demographic in a lot mm. of, which mm. means the representation needs to be more, not just equal. There needs to be more representation. There needs to be more solutions that are very tailored towards women 
at the same time. And I do agree that there needs to also be more women in the space of insurance because we best understand the needs of these women. We're able to offer solutions. We're able to, I, I know, I would understand what are the risks of a mother directly. You know, I would understand the risks of someone who's been pregnant, even if I haven't, because you're around women a lot. So I do agree there needs to be a lot of representation, even in the industry itself. And it's really good to be seeing uh, women like Jihan out here doing coming up with LAMI and offering solutions as well. So there needs to be more of these or more women out here were able to be the voice of the other women in the industry to provide solutions that are direct to the other women in Kenya or globally at the same time. So that there's not a lot of products that are just steered to a population as a whole without really looking at gender as the risks will completely vary. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Warimo. I think um, I think that it's just important that we have that gender diversity, especially um, in an industry that is perceived as you know male dominated. And, and I think that's that's actually good to see. Also attracting you know um, female um, you know uh, customers, which, which I think it's um, a, a good to. So before um, we let you guys go uh, for Diona as well as Warimo, I just want you to um, like you know give. Um, like a formal summary, say for instance, a lot of people are looking to penetrate the micro insurance space. I'll give an instance in Nigeria where we are looking to um, create products and services for the underserved population in Nigeria, which regrettably um, is about it's 2 million people that are currently living below you know, um, the poverty line. So what, what would be your final thoughts in catering to this underserved population, um, especially in your respective jurisdiction? So I would like to talk to you. Um, why don't you can start with that before you know chips in? Uh, yeah, so what I'd like to share is in line with a lot of uh, what Leonor mentioned. The best way to penetrate uh, the, the market and the best way to reach these people who cannot afford insurance are beyond, below the poverty line and not just those, but even the middle income earners, is to make sure that there's a complete understanding, first of all, of what the end customer needs, what really are the risks that they're really facing, so that even as you come to, to innovate or to deliver a solution in terms of insurance, you completely understand what they really want, what problem they really want solved as well. That is one of the things that needs to be done. There also needs to be constant engagement, even after the product has been, or even the insurance has been offered, to ensure that the solution you have offered is still proving to be very, to be beneficial to the end person. So that needs to be done as well. And to also really leverage on whatever they use, not just offering, just leverage on whatever it is. So if it's feature phones, find a way to deliver the insurance product to them through the easiest, the most convenient process or the most convenient mode for them. That would be very, very, very beneficial. And especially with this age of, uh, and also, you know, getting partners that are also in line with inclusivity, like in this age of whereby fintechs are really growing, not just insurtechs, to be able to merge with a lot of partners that have the same mindset, that are looking at inclusion, that are looking to help people get below the poverty line, or just to be able to make them just more inclusive in general. That would be a very great focus for anyone who's trying to solve these problems is through the micro insurance. Yeah, I pretty much agree with uh, Wairimu. I think that Wairimu has just 
uh, sort of summed it all up nicely. Uh, it's basically partnerships. It's basically embedding into already used services uh, and, and, and products. Um, it's basically understanding their customers so, so as to give them exactly what they need. Um, and then creating user and experience. So um, you might start with the entire population, but not the, the whole population will immediately understand the value of the product or the service that you're, you're rendering to them. But then once you begin to also uh, showcase, you know, the use cases where people have, have, have benefited from the product and you're able to do some sort of a disvestment, a public disvestment in, in the location where they live at or, um, you know, within their, their business space, then you create a lot more excitement. You create a lot more understanding of exactly what you're doing. And, and that's also sort of turns the wheel in getting new signups and new um, businesses and new uh, uh, customers coming on board and, and joining the schemes. I think that we, we have the opportunity to change the narrative on the entire continent and the sub-region. Uh, we just need to begin to engage to bring these, these um, out um, in a very laudable way. Yeah, and, and create the, the, the penetration levels that we are all looking forward to seeing. I want to ask you, Leona. I know. I mean, I asked why as regards experience being a woman in the industry. Uh, what has been your experience being a woman in the industry, and then what do you think that we can do in order to better the whole experience of women in this space? I mean, you heard my um, example as regards uh, Jihan uh, and, and her experience with engaging the industry. She's coming from an insurtech perspective, engaging the, the insurers, right? But you know. From the Ghanaian perspective, uh, is it is it the same, or and how do you think that we can change that? I think that it's basically pretty much the same. Uh, that it's really a male-dominated industry that we all find ourselves in, and so you definitely have a lot more males uh, doing, you know, traditional insurance and all. But in Ghana, uh, it's I'm, I'm happy to say that there are also a good number of women um, at the top helm of affairs in C-suite levels. Uh, within other sort of traditional insurance spaces. And, and they're doing some wonderful work as well. The only thing that you find, which is which is the common underlying factor here, is the fact that when a woman is a bit too strong and, you know, really stand by uh, her thoughts and will push, you know, her view of things, then people begin to label mm. you as, you know, uh, a bully or, uh, mm. yeah, one who is extremely boisterous or, you know, uh, and sometimes some of the tags are not really pleasant to hear. But then, um, yeah, yeah if, it, if, 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 if the same happened with a man, then that's okay. They're just being assertive. They're being, you know, uh, uh, a boss and they're doing what yeah. they need to do and all of yeah. that, which is a bit unfair. I think that we, we need to get to the point in business where we're all put and treated on that level, uh, equal playing field. And our thoughts are heard rather than... Uh, uh, people mm. wanted to, 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 to mm. say that it's emotions that are speaking. Yeah. Yeah. That said, I totally oh, agree yeah. with Wairimu's angle that we need to begin to look into more gender-specific uh, solutions and who are, who are best to, to really do that. Um, not to say that we're cutting out the men, but yeah, women would understand a bit more and women would be able to iterate um, that a bit more and, you know, just, just, just puts, puts that out and push what needs to be done a bit more than men would do, you know. So it's important to to always have us at the table. I'd say it's important to to look at the needs, the real needs of women, even within the family space, 
Uh, we are responsible for the family's well-being in terms of health, in terms of nutrition, uh, in terms of the safe space that we have at home. Uh, and we have a lot of a lot of these needs which are currently not addressed. Really, we have a, a lot of needs not addressed. We're just doing a lot of traditional insurance because we still have not been able to sort of spread the continent with that kind of love. But we need to begin to go deeper into what is a female, what is the woman, what is the mother's need as she wakes up um, um, in the morning and as she goes through her day with her children at home and, and her work and all of that. What are the real needs that she has and how do we adequately address this specifically um, mm. Yeah, to right. that extent? Yeah, right, right. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. I mean, for example, uh, uh, you know, on the traditional life insurance policy, um, someone who is pregnant cannot buy insurance. It's kind of excluded, you know, and this kind of risk relating to uh, pregnancy is excluded. So, I mean, I look at that and say, I mean, those, that's kind of a situation that, you know, uh, the person actually needs uh, somewhere, uh, something to fall back on, you know, if anything exactly. happens. But, you exactly. know, so, so yeah. Uh, it was. It's been a pleasure speaking with with both of you. Uh, really interesting conversation, and uh, I mean, we've watched you guys from afar. Now we're speaking with you, and, and I mean, you've been doing amazing work, and um, kudos to you. And uh, so, uh, just to uh, round off, uh, maybe we started starting with Leona. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, people who want to partner with micro micro insure in Ghana or looking to do stuff with you, so how can they connect? Is there uh, is it LinkedIn or is there an email that you can reach out? Yes, absolutely. I'm happy to put out my email address and I'm happy to also uh, receive connections through my LinkedIn. So my email address is leona.aban, um, L-E-O-N-A dot A-B-B-A-N at microensure. Microensure is M-I-C-R-O-E-N-S-U-R-E.com. So that's leona.aban at microensure.com. And I'm out there on LinkedIn, happy to connect, happy to understand um, um, what people want to do and how people want to, uh, uh, how, how people want to help change the narrative as is. I'm happy to connect and engage further from here today. Thank you so much for bringing us uh, on this show, we're happy that you gave us the opportunity. Yeah, so yes, as well. Um, happy to connect with anyone via email or LinkedIn. My email address is wairimo, W A I R I M U dot njoki, which is N J O K I at microensure.com. My LinkedIn is wairimo njoki as well. So happy to connect in that way. It has been such a great pleasure to be here, uh, to be able to speak to you. And I like what you're doing with this podcast and with the insurance business series as well, the InsurTech, the IBS. Uh, thank you so much. It really, really has been a pleasure. Hi, and I hope you did enjoy that conversation. Quite interesting one. Do ensure that you continue to listen to our podcast and share as well with your colleagues and friends uh, future episodes and even previous ones on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, on every platform that you get your podcasts. Right, and also don't forget to join the conversation on all of our social media platforms. You might have comments, reviews, as well as questions. Please do share on our LinkedIn page, on our Twitter page, as well as remember to follow us.